CMS Book Club. My name is James Lipshaw. Today we are discussing Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead by Brene Brown. You may recognize that name. Um, She has a very successful TED Talk um, that we'll talk about a little bit over the course of this book club. Today we have with us from CMS Janice Palaganis, Jeff Cooper, Jenny Rudolph, Jose Maestro, Kate Morse, Laura Rock, Mary Fay. Roxanne Gardner, and Grace Ng. So welcome once again to our CMS bi-monthly book club, what I like to call our CMS brain play date. It's um, such a treat for me. I hope it's a treat for all of you too. This is Janice Palaganis and with me are my friends and colleagues at the Center for Medical Stimulation, uh, my neurostimulators. We have uh, Jenny Rudolph. Hello. Grace Sang. Hello. Jeff Cooper. Hi there. Jose Maestre. Hello. Hola. Kate Morse. Hello. Laura Rock. Hello. Mary Faye. Hello. Roxanne Gardner. Hello. And of course, James Lipshaw. Hello. So Renee Brown explains in this book how embracing one's uh, vulnerability and imperfection is necessary for achieving real engagement and social connection, and that vulnerability is both the core of difficult emotions like fear, grief, disappointment, and the birthplace of positive emotions like love, joy, belonging, and also the birthplace of um, innovation and creativity. So in brief, she talks about how we get in the way of ourselves and how daring greatly by showing our vulnerability is a practice and a powerful um, vision toward transformative change to to living life, becoming a leader, and in our case, um, becoming great people and great educators. Uh, I chose this book because a a new passion of mine is studying the role of vulnerability in teaching and learning, and I was excited that we uh, voted for it for this book club, and that's my very brief description. So, Jenny, I know that you um, have some thoughts around shame and uh, vulnerability, and I'm wondering if you would start us in the discussion. Um, So I was really interested in her description of shame as being primarily oriented to fear of loss of connection with other people. And as a perfectionist, I thought I generally felt ashamed when I screw up. And I thought I generally felt ashamed when I'm not in my own mind, perfect. And so I was trying to figure out whether I had a different thought about what led to shame than she did. Um, And I was kind of curious on what other people thought of that. I 
also had another thought related to it, which is I think she argues that the mechanism of shame is when we do something and we feel bad, we're worried about losing connection. Um, it made me think of Carol Dweck's book uh, or arguments about um, growth mindset versus uh, fixed mindset or learning mindset versus performance mindset. And in those models, I think shame comes from when you don't hit the mark. And if you're anywhere less than 100% or perfect, then you might feel ashamed and you don't want to risk that. So you do the performance mindset. You try to be perfect instead of risking and daring and trying to learn. And so I was really curious about whether how other people saw her argument about what the source of shame was and what other people saw as, you know, I don't know, their sources of shame or uh, those two contrasting views. And sorry, sorry, guys. Can I pause this for two sure. seconds? Of course. Um, so two notes. One, um, someone is typing. Guilty. Are you shamed, Mary? <laughs> no, I'm trying to figure out how I can keep typing and listening. Can I mute myself? Clearly have no sense of shame right there. <laughs> I thought that was courageous. <laughs> no, that's humiliation. I don't think that's shame. Didn't she make a distinction between shame and humiliation? No, humiliator is, is the way she defines it is that... Um, you feel like you don't deserve it. And guilt, or no, shame is when you feel like you do deserve it. <laughs> well, I'm a bad person versus I did a bad thing. So I was really interested in the mechanisms that Brene Brown thought uh, argues create shame. And my understanding was she said, we feel ashamed when we feel at risk or we lose social connection. And I totally recognize that, but I was trying to tap into what do I feel the most ashamed about when I feel ashamed. And for better or worse, it's when I feel like I'm not perfect and I've missed the mark. And that made me think of um, uh, uh, Professor Dweck's work uh, on performance mindset versus learning mindset or growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And my understanding of that work is if you have a performance mindset, you want to be perfect because if you mess up, that's kind of catastrophic or bad or says something bad about you. And that resonates a lot more with me regarding shame than loss of connection. But maybe when I'm not perfect, I'm worried people aren't going to like me. And that's really so Benet Brown is right. Uh, so anyway, I was just wondering what your guys take on that was. Actually, I'm glad you repeated that because now I understand it better. Because I had a problem with the connection thing as well. If I feel shame because I've done something or I've disappointed somebody, is it about that? The, what does that mean? That I, the person won't talk to me again, or I won't have a relationship with them? Because I, I don't. I mean, what did that mean to you? Well, I, I mean, it makes me wonder. I, although I know she's done research on thousands of people, it makes me wonder if it's a little like the end of of um, 1984 when you know. Fear is, is, is um, uh, it, you know, it depends on the individual person and maybe each person's shame is different and perhaps it can't all be generalized as a connection thing. So I, you just said something that really struck 
um, accord for me because I think for me, shame is disappointing people I respect or disappointing other people, which I don't really see as a, as a connection thing. I see it maybe closer to the perfectionism or like high expectations thing. I guess I almost see from a teaching and learning perspective, I wonder if shame is, is like a willingness to, to be, or I mean, vulnerability is a willingness to kind of, um, potentially look bad or imperfect in the interest of learning or in the interest of teaching and maybe not doing that. It comes from shame. I love that premise, uh, Laura, and connecting to Janice's, uh, challenge to us at the beginning, you know, what's the role of vulnerability in teaching and learning? She, she didn't so much say shame, but willingness to tolerate looking bad and or feeling ashamed in the service of learning is an interesting idea. Well, I might have an answer about what she, I think what she meant about being connected. I think she made it, she said it in a general sense. This was my understanding. I don't know if I'm completely right, but <clears throat> she was saying how shame is a social concept and that it happens between people and so anything that uh, like any kind of social concept means some sort of connectedness with others that was kind of my my thought because when she started talking about empathy as being the antidote to shame and or that the healing of shame rests between people since it, since it is a social concept and it I, anyway that was my understanding of what she meant by connectedness but i don't know so I connected it a little differently that living in shame results in disengagement and living with shame, not sharing it, you know, sort of whatever it is that if you are keeping it, um, not talking about it, not sharing it with somebody leads to disengagement and disconnection by having an empathetic interaction or being willing to be vulnerable to share whatever it is that you feel shame about creates connection. But Jeff, maybe, maybe you can, you have an example, maybe you can tell us your example and then uh, maybe we can try to clarify together what we think from the reading. Well, let, let me do the other, there are two of them, but they have different, are very different aspects, which actually are a little illustrative of how, so how different shame it really is. They're, they're like different constructs, but they both involve but the one that just came up in a meeting I was at has to do with the issue of um, the example of in an operating room of an anesthesiologist wanting to say something to the surgeon that they he or she thinks the surgeon needs help. And there's this whole dynamic that goes on about how the anesthesiologist really struggle with offering that because so it's really hard to say that. And then the, the surgeons don't want to accept the help, and that even, uh, and there was a story told about how there's a game that gets played about how the nurses will go out and find another surgeon and say, you know, I think that so-and-so needs a little help in that room, could you go in? And the other surgeon doesn't want to go in unless they're asked to go in by the surgeon who's in there. And I listened to this, and I was just reading the book, and it just triggered to me that there's a shame, there's all kinds of issues going on with the shame, I don't know if it's connectedness, it has something else to do with ego and performance. Uh, and it didn't, so that didn't relate to connectedness to me at all. But I felt as I read the description that there's something about the surgeon who just nicked the vessel and it's bleeding, which by the way, they make a distinction between trauma surgeons and all other surgeons, because trauma surgeons, 
it's they're bleeding already, and that's their job is to fix it. Where the other surgeons, they're not supposed to have bleeding, just you know, in generalization. But there's a, it seemed to me like there was a shame piece in there. Is I screwed up? I can't accept help. I can't be vulnerable. And that to me had nothing to do with connectedness. It strikes me as maybe more akin to what what you and others in this group have uncovered on speaking up, that. You know, maybe there is a connectedness piece in speaking up if there's like hierarchy or you're worried about the relationship from speaking up. But I, I agree with you. I had trouble making that distinction. And, I, I, and I'm sort of in this funny position of wanting to, at risk of being vulnerable, say that I found this book pretty annoying. Um, <laughs> and I think, and, the re, and it, I think it's partly because I listened to it on audiobook instead of reading it. So I wasn't able to skim over the long sections of self-promotion, you know, thousands and thousands of people she's interviewed and researched. And I just found like, I, I found it hard to sort of get through that to get to her main message. And so I'm thinking about like, well, why wouldn't I bring that up in the beginning of this conversation? You know, this is a group of people that I feel, I mean, of, of all the people I work with, I feel the most willing to be vulnerable with you people, even though I probably hold you in the highest regard of everyone I work with. And and I kind of was sort of self-analyzing why wouldn't I bring that up? You know, well, she's really famous. It's like in the top five TED Talks of all time, Brene Brown and national bestseller for very many weeks. And everyone loves Brene Brown. And so, you know, I I'm sort of you know, musing over, is this a shame thing or vulnerability? Why, you know, am I going to allow myself to be vulnerable to bring this up and, and maybe take it up a notch as a learner and a teacher and throw that into the conversation? I just, I thought I'd raise that issue. Mm. I'm with you, by the way, because I, I was annoyed by the self-promotion and I had trouble interpreting the connectedness. And yet I found it stimulating because it really had me exploring all the ways in which I am and I'm not vulnerable in the ways I am. You know, so sometimes I am, so I, I think it's a real strength that I can get up because I feel perfectly comfortable talking about my mistakes. And I tried to think, well, where did I get that from? It was probably from years of therapy. And so, it, you know, it was really, it was really, it was really provocative for me. And yet I was annoyed by it. <laughs> and I listened to her and I did go on and listen to her uh, TED talk. And, I didn't think it was a great TED talk. I don't care if five million people watched it. So I'm glad you brought it up, Laura, because I had the same feeling. Yeah. So, yeah. For know, me, I didn't, I didn't finish it, by the way. I got about 43.2%. I, I do wonder, just um, quickly, uh, she has a whole book on shame. And I think this book was probably meant to build on that knowledge. And she tried to summarize it in the beginning. And this could be one of the reasons why we're not very clear on shame is because maybe I should have sent out a summary of her previous book that would have helped the reading on this one. I think shame, so I join people who had the trouble with that word connection and, and I appreciate the reinterpretation or Janice expounding on it some more. Um, for me, I, I think shame has more dimensions. I think it's not simply, for me, a matter of disappointing someone else, but it relates back to, and I think the ego word, disappointing myself, like holding my own self to a particular standard. 
and not having, for whatever rational reason or understandable reason, um, the ability to follow through in keeping myself to a particular standard. And so that's a, you know, a very deep personal dimension, I think, to shame, which, I th which has a different flavor than professional shame. Um, maybe they're rooted and, and maybe in that they're connected, so to speak. But, um, you know, I think, I think, and there are things about my, my personal items that I feel shamed. The gremlins really sort of speak to me about having that recited over and over in my mind and, you know, having, um, myself sort of run through it over and over again at, ad infinitum and and then for me the combat my 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 ninja warrior would be in that context forgiveness so it's sort of the step beyond empathy for myself mm. but actually forgiving myself and there may be people that i feel in certain situations i may be able to share that if it if I get the sense that it could help them through a difficult situation they're dealing with, you know, and in other contexts, I may be extremely reluctant to open myself up and just toss it out there. That's lovely. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying, Rox. Um, and for me, I, I think it's, it's very much what, what Jeff was saying as well, which is like the, 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 problem of carrying around that sort of ball of shame was very much solved by therapy uh, and uh, it really is just it I feel like it uh, aligns so well with what we teach about speaking up because the the relief for that sort of buildup of what you know what she calls gremlins is just to say in the moment when I start to feel it hey I'm really uncomfortable what's what with what's happening here and let me try to express to everyone in the room why that's happening. And I just feel like that, that transparency of emotion is incredibly useful, both in sort of building connections with people and also sort of relieving just that internal sense of dread, like, oh, this is going somewhere that I don't like and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not in control of it. Just stating your discomfort almost gives you a control over it, which I feel like is, is the root of that shame, is just a feel that things are spiraling. Um, and that you've you've caused it somehow by inaction or by action. That's where I feel like that shame comes from for me. That reminds me of the adage that I've been hearing from Stephanie Barwick and uh, others around, you know, name it to tame it. One of the things that I struggle with is I'm often willing to uh, reveal my own errors and talk about my own insecurities. I'm very cautious about bringing up things that might unmask someone else in some way and so that's one of my one of the things I found most interesting about this book was the dichotomy between vulnerability and shame as it constrains me for example in difficult conversations with other people or if we're in a team or a group or something like that I struggle with how do I bring things up in a way that are psychologically safe enough to allow people to be vulnerable and choose to be vulnerable. But I don't, I think, you know, from my, my, my past history, my family of origin, whatever, 
I'm very concerned about um, doing something that might somehow, quote unquote, make someone else feel vulnerable in an unwelcome way. And that oh, really yeah, ties my hands. Wait, so Jenny, you're, what you struggle with is not, I, I guess there's two ways I'm seeing it. Are you struggling with revealing things that, that is personal to someone else or revealing something personal to you that could um, touch the wound of someone else? More the former. So, for example, if I were to say preview advocacy, you know, I want to talk about this. I see you doing X. I think Y inquiry. I often feel my hands are tied to describe the things I see and the thing I think, because if that lands too heavily on the other person and they were like, hey, I didn't sign up for that. Um, <laughs> they aren't going to be happy with me. Um, so that really I struggle with that. You know, I struggle with that too. And I think one thing that, that I really enjoyed reading when she said it, because I think we teach it, there was a lot of things in the book that I felt um, resonates with, with some of what we teach. Um, but it's like one of her lines, I don't know the exact quote, but it was something like, I want to experience your vulnerability um, but I don't want to be vulnerable. And that was like, and it's kind of like what we teach, like, I want you to be honest, but yet I'm not being honest. Like if, if what you're trying to uncover is as deep as what you're personally uncovering, maybe it's worth it. I don't know, but I do struggle with that too. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. I think I want to unpack that a tiny bit more. What Jenny said about, Hey, I didn't sign up for that. That kind of maybe keeping you from being totally honest. And I, I wonder if when you're about to say something that you think is maybe too edgy or too honest and you stop yourself because you're worried about forcing someone else to be vulnerable, like what's really the why behind that? Is it really because you're protecting them? You know, I guess in our course we might think, well, if we model vulnerability, and we model our willingness to be uncomfortable in the pursuit of learning, then why should we be afraid to sort of push that in our learners? And so I just, I, I think your comment is interesting and I kind of, I, but I don't think we necessarily know what's really behind it. Is it, you know, your own vulnerability or your worry about someone else's being forced to be, be vulnerable when they're maybe not ready or not, you know, haven't given permission for that. Well, I love, um, I love your question, Laura. Uh, and I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on, on this. So maybe I, why don't I step back for a second? I do have some thoughts, but maybe other people do too. So this is Jose. I am now working uh, clinically in this term. And I think uh, shame and vulnerability is influenced by the context in healthcare too because we as clinicians are supposed to be perfect in, in the way that patients expect the best from being at the hospital. And if we do something which is not uh, perfectly right, we might feel shamed to, to expose it or to talk about other person performance. So I think the contents we live in can influence, influence our experience of being imperfect and we can really feel very ashamed of talking about it. 
and also that permeates uh, when it's uh, about teaching and learning in that environment, I think. But, but is that shame, Jose, about connectedness, do you think? Or how would you, what's the impact of the shame and why in the I think, clinical context? I think in the clinical context, both patients and our colleagues expect from, from, from the providers to be, in a way, perfect. And if we are not as humans, we are humans, and so we are going to, to, to commit errors. But it's very difficult to, to expose ourselves and, and say, oh, I have committed a, an error. I'm, I can feel shame from that. And if I, I say I am not perfect, I might feel not connected with the rest of the, of the team. So what's the reality of that for everybody else? If you can think of a situation, even if you are a clinician, when you went to another clinician, where where you're not where, where the people aren't being forthright about a mistake you made or where they were, and what you're I mean I'm thinking of a couple of examples in my own case where where a mistake was made and where people were or weren't forthright and how I feel about them, and so I, I want to examine that a little bit more for myself. But I, my sense is if they're honest about it, it's kind of the opposite. They shouldn't be shamed. I really respect them more. But when I feel like somebody's hiding something. It's, and my friend just had a situation they told me last night, it, it's much, much worse if they're hiding it and not being honest about it. And, I think, and the, the actuality of it is it's the opposite. I think it depends on the safety culture of the organization. I think your reaction, it comes when the, the safety culture of the organization is high. But if, if it's a pathological culture or a reactive culture, people may, I think, might feel ashamed of speaking up. I found the, hey, I didn't sign up for this, uh, expressed as coming from the learner, really interesting, because I think there's a little voice that sort of says that occasionally inside of the, you know, me as a teacher or as a debriefer, too. Um, and part of that is just, I think we're, you know, as as people who are involved in teaching, we're pretty emotionally open or try to be to the peop the students, the learners who are in the room with us. Um, and I think there's sort of that, that knowledge that like, if there's a thing, if there's something that's happening that's emotional, if a learner's having an emotional reaction, and I can see a leak springing in that dam that I sort of want to poke at and be like, what's happening here? What's going on under, under, underneath? If I bust that open, I'm going to get wet too. Like, and so that, hey, I didn't sign up for this, is almost like a it, it is vulnerability because, like, if they're about to have an emotional reaction to something, it's gonna it's gonna hurt me too. Like, that's gonna hurt for me to experience that empathetically. And I just you just sort of have to, uh, you know, gir gird, your, gird yourself that. for it uh, because it's it's gonna hurt when someone else is having an emotional reaction. I I don't think anyone here is unempathetic enough for that not to happen. I love that you're saying this, James, because I think that's probably where the connectedness comes in. And um, so I have a non-clinical example. Both of my kids, um, they love archery. And uh, so I signed them up for an archery camp. And my son, at the end of the camp, they assess you and they give you levels and stuff. And so my son's running over and he's got a certificate in his hand and he's got smiles on his face. And he's like, I did the best. And I was like, wow, that's really awesome. Cause I was, you know, I was impressed because there were high schoolers there too. And then my daughter's running behind him. This is just her personality. She's running behind him 
and she's got smiles on her face too. She's got her certificate in her hand and she goes, and I did the worst. You can imagine like which of the two was I most impressed about, you know, made my heart smile the most. It was, it was my daughter. The fact that she could just say that with a smile and other kids just wouldn't. And I, and, and it was like one of the things that hit me about vulnerability. And, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to try to study this in the classroom. And I was telling Roxanne this earlier today that, you know, usually it's the student that I look at that's really listening and nodding their head that really motivates me to teach and, um, and work with them. At least I thought that's what it was. But as I was more critically aware of this, you know, what is the role of vulnerability in teaching and learning? There was one student in one particular course that was so beautifully modest and just beautifully aware of his own weaknesses and was so willing to, to share that and was so vulnerable. And it changed. I, I was realizing in myself, I really wanted to work with him. I loved having him as a student. I really wanted to work with him. It changed me as a teacher being even more motivated to help him along. Why is that? Why does that happen? I feel like it's human and and I agree with Jose and cultures it's hard, you know you have shame there's this level of shame for being vulnerable and and speaking up and and if we could just reframe in those cultures because I think once someone does it there's an immediate connection whether it's empathy or something there's something very human and I think that might be the connectedness that that she's talking about in, in that it promotes connectedness and and that helps you kind of live and become better at what you do. So it might also be, this is Jenny, that the difference in the two kids' connection uh, or report of their uh, performance, you know, may also come from some historical experience with you because I can easily imagine there are certain parents uh, where someone who didn't do well would certainly not report that with a smile. And oh, so perhaps there's some historical empathy, acceptance, connection that you projected in the past. And so that's, you know, perhaps part of that connection piece. I, I want to connect this a little bit back to what Jose was saying. I, for me, I think what Jose's story reminds me of some of my own really difficult moments like presenting an M&M where I, you know, I had to present an error that I made. And I felt kind of publicly shamed by some people's reaction, but I also felt an incredible sense of connection after forcing myself to be vulnerable with some, with the people who reached out to me to share their own experiences and to tell me and to support me and also kind of, um, to really share their appreciation for my willingness to be vulnerable and share about the error that I made. And I think that it is very culture dependent. It not only is a response to the culture we're in, but it also helps create the culture that we're in. And it, and it sort of seems to me like vulnerability or maybe um, a code word for what we call usually in our courses, psychological safety, that, you know, it, it's, it's determined by and also helps create the culture that we're in. And so maybe in a um, in our clinical environments, it's really easy to put ourselves in that moment where it's extremely hard to 
speak up about an error that we've made that we feel disappointed in ourselves or maybe that other people would be would would feel I should be ashamed about um and it it creates both sort of a reinforcement of the culture that's there if you have a ne- negative reaction and also an incredible connection a social connection and and even probably an intellectual and emotional connection with depending on the reaction of others I I think that's great Laura because one thing she does talk about is um, practicing critical awareness for shame resilience and in terms of speaking up in times when I felt shame in the clinical environment, um, my executive or leadership coach helped me with it. She shared with me um, something that's known as the SCARF model. I don't know if anybody's heard about it. Um, it's by David Rock and it comes from neuroscience about the way people interact based on perspective of threats and rewards, and it helps us think about um, collaborating and influencing others. So often we have these, if when we have reactions, it falls under one of these categories, and SCARF stands for status, you know, not feeling important, certainty, being, un- being comfortable with uncertainty, autonomy, not feeling like you have a choice, relatedness, not feeling like you belong. So maybe that's the connectedness part, I don't know. And then fairness, not um, meeting expectations or not feeling like there's transparency. And so I, I just think it's so interesting taking this conversation to the clinical environment and shame in the clinical environment because it reminds me of, of, um, of this SCARF model. For me, I think the biggest issue is Finding the bright, shining, encouraging path of vulnerability in contexts where shame might be experienced by me or by someone else. And this probably says more about me than it does about Brene Brown's model. But for me, it's the performance issue that I find uh, difficult to, um, you know, probably since my entire mission for the last 10 years is debriefing with good judgment, how do you link together positive regard with holding people to a standard? It's not surprising that I'm really interested in how do we balance these two issues. It's obviously something quite of interest to me. Um, So um, I still am struggling with how do I be honest in a way that might you know, I'm going to use the word unmask again or call attention to something that somebody themselves hasn't noticed about themselves and is then going to give them one of those red faced moments and they're going to feel bad about it. Now, obviously, I soldier through and I use courage and my own vulnerability to constantly try to speak openly about those things, but it's never easy. So I'm just wondering, you know, how do you guys see that issue of being honest with others. I'm sort of returning Laura Rock to your question, and I'm not sure if I've gotten back to it correctly, so please feel free to correct. As I resonate with what you're saying, when I struggle with it, uh, uh, what I try to do, especially in a deliberate mode, is the thing I want to say, something that the other person can actually do something about. So things that somebody can't do anything about, telling them doesn't do any good. All right, so that those are like off the table. And if it's something that I think would really help the person, then, as I've said before about other things like this, it's an act of love or caring for me to be uncomfortable saying it to the person 
and I have to sincerely feel that I'm saying it to the person in a way that's helping and not harmful or hurtful. And if I'm in touch with that, then it makes it it's easier for me to say it. And so I try to be metacognitive and thinking about the way I say it, but to try to make that distinction. I have to live with my own discomfort if I want to help this person. Because I will feel uncomfortable. And I've, I've done that, and I've seen it happen, and had enough really positive experiences where somebody's really changed something. It's really given them an insight about themselves. Uh, and, you know, it's the whole thing about telling somebody there's egg on their face, which in this little thing, when somebody has some literally egg on their face, you know, only your friends or somebody who cares about you will tell you that. And you can fix it. And, there, and, and yet, it's really uncomfortable. Right? When you say that, then you got this little thing on, you know, karma says <laughs> all the time. You got this little thing on your chin. It's like, and I'm sure she doesn't feel badly about saying to me, but uh, but those are the kinds of things that are just so helpful. And you you got to work through your own discomfort. Well, it's so funny you, you say that because I, I have think. something on my face? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you do. No. <laughs> no, uh, um, I think there are certain people that. You do. It's like the context that we were talking about. You know, what is the context of this particular situation? And so karma being comfortable enough to, 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 to point out those um, circumstances to you is in a way that she knows that it's not going to injure your ego. Not really. No, no. She can say things. And, and when she says it... Well,
puts someone else, in my opinion, at risk. I'm just going to observe that for the next month. Can I share my takeaway? Yeah, I've been listening and I didn't say much because I find this conversation so fascinating. I guess my big takeaway is I want to celebrate shame. (laughs) I think that because I think growing up in an Eastern culture, like what I was taught, at least in my family of origin, is having a sense of shame is a good thing. And Confucius say, if you're a decent person, you always have a sense of shame. So I'm thinking that's really something that I should leverage in my own practice is, you know, feel the shame and be present (laughs) in the shame and stop thinking about how how it might affect me negatively. But how do I, how should I feel that shame and get better? Use it. Wield it as a tool, as yeah, a way. Yeah, wield it as a tool. I love how you put that. Well, I'm going to, this is Jose again. I am going to practice uh, compassion. To my, I'm going to be kind to myself first uh-huh. when, I, when I commit an error or I am imperfect. So I'm going to practice to, to be aware of it and see how I feel. And if I feel ashamed, feel compassionate. To me, and then I think it's a way to be uh, compassionate to others. I really like that. Thank you, Jose. Yeah, I I completely agree with you, Jose. Thank you. Okay, thank you, CMS. Thank you to our listeners for joining today. They're greatly in your work and live. Adios. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time at the CMS Book Club. Have a good one.